Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday, the 5th of October. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, several months into lockdown, how much are you enjoying your, your life of going to daily COVID press conferences every day? Oh, I hated watching them before I moved to Victoria, and now I'm pretty sick of going to them, actually. <laughs> it takes up a lot of my day hearing about COVID, but I do feel like I'm somewhat of an armchair expert. Um, yeah. How about you, Tom? Are you still tuning in every day to hear the daily COVID updates from our premiers? No, never did. <laughs> it was a waste of time. Um, Even now you're a dad, you've got a bit of uh, extra time on your hands? Oh, no, I don't have any extra time on my hands. <laughs> if I'm not, you know, changing a nappy or settling him down or doing the washing, shopping, cooking. Um, there's plenty going on at our house. I'm still trying to finish my book as well. My deadline is actually next Friday. So I've got that going on as well. Wow. So it sounds like an exciting life you're planning on living <laughs> this yeah. year. But look, there's not many other options, is there? We're all in lockdown. Well, Good to hear. Yeah. I mean, it's fast, fast changing situation in New South Wales. There are reports that the new Premier, likely to be installed later today, Dominic Perrottet, might even bring forward the easing of restrictions to Friday. That's just a a rumour in the newspaper. We'll see how that goes. Um, But it's been an absolute mess in New South Wales politically since Friday when the Premier resigned. Um, We've now had the Transport Minister resign. And then yesterday, the Deputy Premier, John Barillaro, resigned. So that's what we're getting into in our briefing today, explaining why Gladys Berejiklian decided to step down. When the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian at the time, had to give evidence at the corruption hearing into Daryl Maguire, and it was revealed that she was the boyfriend. There were a lot of tapes played at the time and conversations, and it left a lot of questions about what she knew, when she knew it, what she did about it. So did Gladys Berejiklian have to go? That is our briefing in the second half of this episode. First, here are today's headlines, starting with all the drama from New South Wales. Yes, Tom, as you said there, two more resignations have rocked New South Wales politics. The bigger one is the state's Deputy Premier, John Barillaro, who announced he's also leaving Parliament. It is the right time for the state, for me, for the Liberal Party and the National Party, a new new freshness, a refresh of the government of the day. Now, an interesting part of what he said yesterday was that um, it was his defamation fight with YouTuber Friendly Geordies that was part of the reason he wanted to walk away. The very public defamation case that I have going at the moment, uh, unbelievable, you know, that I have to defend myself from vile and racist attacks in a social media setting. So then Friendly Geordie's put out a statement absolutely slamming John Barillaro, which was no surprise. Um, Annika, I was surprised to hear John Barillaro mention that as part of his reason for such a big decision walking away from his political career. What was your reaction to his announcement yesterday? Yeah, look, he's been, um, I guess, suggested that he would leave before. He was going to run for a federal seat uh, ahead of the Eden Monaro which is the sort of overlapping federal seat that he was going to run there for a little bit. He said no to that. He took some time away for his, uh, I guess, mental health recently. So it wasn't a huge surprise. And in many ways, um, as taxpayers, it's better that we get a few go at once. By-elections are very expensive and quite annoying to run. So it's not a huge surprise that he is leaving. And of course, He's not the only one, Tom. On Sunday, we heard Transport Minister Andrew Constance will also leave the New South Wales Parliament. He is going to run for a federal seat. Uh, he's tried this before. He was going to run for Eden Monaro again. This time, he's running for the nearby seat of Gilmore, which takes in 
Bega, where he's from, and you'd have to think he's a bit of a chance there. Yeah, Scott Morrison came out saying, you know, he'd be happy to have him in the government. So do you think he's got a good chance of being pre-selected and, and winning that seat? Uh, doesn't take long to change your tune. This uh, You might remember yeah. during the bushfires, he was quite critical of the Prime Minister, saying that he shouldn't have gone up to those people and, and tried to shake their hands. Yeah, but- he said he got the welcome he deserved when he went to those bushfire-affected <laughs> communities. Yeah, look, he was speaking to his uh, local members there and it's probably the reason why he's so popular. There is a Labor member in there at the moment. So I think the Prime Minister who is struggling in the polls might be happy to have him on board because you'd have to think he's a bit of a chance to win Gilmore at the next election. Yeah, later today, uh, the New South Wales Liberal Party will vote on their new Premier. It's expected to be uh, the current Treasurer, Dominic Perrottet. We'll find out more about him later in our interview at the back half of this episode. Australia will buy 300,000 doses of a COVID treatment pill, which the government says will work alongside vaccines to fight the virus. Treatments don't prevent you getting the disease, but they can seriously reduce uh, the risk of COVID becoming a life-threatening or disease which requires hospitalisation. That's the Health Minister, Greg Hunt. The Commonwealth will today confirm it's finalised a deal to buy the doses and it's expected to be approved by TGA early next year. The drug is still in its final trial stage, but it's already been found to halve the rate of hospitalisations and deaths from COVID among adults with underlying health conditions. It's called Molnupiravir, and it doesn't need to be kept refrigerated, so it's expected to be supplied directly to the community if approved. And the UK minister in charge of the Glasgow Climate Conference is calling on Prime Minister Scott Morrison to attend the summit and to boost our emission reduction targets. COP26 President Alok Sharma has told nine newspapers he would like to see Scott Morrison at the conference next month, saying it would demonstrate Australia's friendship with Britain. He's saying that we should bring up our emissions target, the 2030 target, to 50%. It's currently only at 26, 28, so pretty much doubling our um, short to medium term ambitions. Yeah, Scott Morrison has repeatedly said Australia's on track to meet and even beat that target, but is hesitant to commit to net zero by 2050. And we know that's because of some internal political reasons. And Taiwan says it's preparing for a war with China and says it would like to work with Australia to secure its defence. China is going to launch a war against Taiwan. We will fight to the end. We would like to engage in security or intelligence exchanges with other like-minded partners, Australia included. Taiwanese Foreign Minister Joseph Wu speaking to the ABC there. The comments came a day after China sent more than 60 planes into what Taiwan considers its airspace on Friday and Saturday last week. China stepped up its intimidation tactics against Taiwan over the last two years. It considers the democratically ruled island a renegade province of China. Very tense situation there. Very strong comments as well. And Star Trek actor William Shatner is set to become the oldest person to go into space, announcing this morning he will be on board the next flight by Jeff Bezos's space company. Yeah, William Shatner's 90 years old and he'll be joined on the flight by two others, including an Australian venture capitalist, Dr Chris Boshuzen. This is on Blue Origin's second ever rocket launch. The flight lasts 10 minutes only and they fly 100 k's into the atmosphere. All right, let's talk New South Wales politics in depth. Our state premiers have taken centre stage in the pandemic. They've become 
incredibly popular, incredibly powerful and incredibly well known. Yeah, they even upstaged the Prime Minister in this year's Power Index, which was published by the Australian Financial Review on Friday. It had the premiers all grouped in one category at number one and the Prime Minister at number two. And then in a crazy turn of events, on the very same day the Power Index was published, the Premier of the biggest state in terms of population and the economy called a press conference and said this. It pains me to announce that I have no option but to resign from the office of Premier. My resignation will take effect as soon as the New South Wales Liberal Party can elect a new parliamentary leader. Resigning at this time is against every instinct in my being and something which I do not want to do. I love my job and I love serving the community, but I have been given no option following the statement that's been issued today. So how did this happen? What brought her down and is it fair that she's resigned? And it's worth noting, as you heard in our headlines earlier, Gladys Berejiklian's resignation has sparked two more resignations. One of her deputy leader, the Nationals, John Barillaro, and the New South Wales Transport Minister, Andrew Constance, is going to have a tilt at a federal seat. In this interview, they will focus in on the situation Gladys Berejiklian faced and her likely successor. Ashley Raper from the ABC has been reporting from inside New South Wales State Parliament for many years now over a very dramatic period, and she joins us now. Ashley, this goes back to Gladys Berejiklian's secret relationship with Daryl Maguire. Did you think she was going to survive this when it dropped out of the newspapers last year? When the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian at the time, had to give evidence at the corruption hearing into Daryl Maguire, and it was revealed that she was the boyfriend. There were a lot of tapes played at the time and conversations, and it left a lot of questions about Mm. what she knew, when she knew it, what she did about it. And she managed to really portray this picture of her at the time, that she was the hard done by woman, that she was portrayed by the dodgy boyfriend. She got a lot of sympathy. There was all this talk at the time. Yeah, everybody's dated a dad like Daryl. And she survived at the time, which was quite incredible. I think most premiers would have had to go uh, just based on what happened last year. But we did know that the ICAC, they hadn't finished their investigation and they didn't wrap it up as well. They indicated that they had reopened it and were looking at things. So now the difference is that as part of this new investigation, Lattice Berejiklian is actually the focus of that investigation and it's looking at whether she allowed alleged acts of corruption by her then boyfriend, Daryl Maguire, whether she turned a blind eye to corruption, and also whether there was that conflict of interest when the government that she was treasurer in and then premier was awarding millions of dollars in grants to the electorate that happened to be her boyfriend's electorate at the time. And nobody knew that he was her boyfriend. It's incredible they were able to keep it so quiet in the hotbed of politics. I wanted to ask two questions. Firstly, do you think if she had have just declared it after six weeks of dating, it would have been okay? And given that she has resigned and we might speculate that ICAC have more to come, what are we expecting to come out of the hearings which start next week? When she did the stories in the newspapers and things, she was saying that she was in love with him and wanted to marry him, which suggests that it's not a casual fling. So she almost wanted it both ways at the time, saying, look, it wasn't serious enough to disclose it, but then to Mm. garner the sympathy from the public, which she did so successfully, was I was so in love with him that I wanted to marry him. Now, in terms of what will come out 
next. Uh, it really focuses on two grants in particular that was awarded. One was to the Clay Target Association, so for a sporting facility in Wagga, and also the Riverina Conservatorium of Music got money too. So it's going to really look at the decisions made around those two particular grants because this is public money and whether it was misspent or used in a way perhaps it should have gone to something else, but because Daryl Maguire allegedly had the inside track that perhaps and it comes back to that conflict of interest issue. So, yeah, it was interesting you pointed out there that this term close personal relationship was the one that Gladys Berejiklian tried to use instead of the term intimate personal relationship. Why was she choosing those words so carefully? What's the difference and will this be unpacked in the ICAC hearing? Look, it is quite significant in terms of, of parliament because there are things that you do have to disclose as a parliamentarian. There's the code of conduct. So by using close personal relationship, it kind of gets around that because if you're not living together, if you're not boyfriend and girlfriend or you're not partner or in a substantial relationship, then you're really under no obligation to make those disclosures as a public figure, as a parliament sense. But it ha- was clear last year that this was quite a serious relationship. If it was an intimate personal relationship, that's the strict definition that says he's like family and she needs to declare the relationship, right? Yeah, absolutely. Gladys Berejiklian was the Premier at the time and there was a number of closed hearings that they they went private so that it wasn't flushing embarrassing personal stuff around in the public domain. So we don't know what happened in those private hearings and closed hearings. So that may have already been fleshed out. So It'll be interesting to see what happens in two weeks when this all starts up again. Ashley, amongst the public here in New South Wales over the last few days, there's been a lot of shock and sadness about her resignation. She was a very popular Premier and a lot of people liked the way she kind of did her best to protect the freedoms of New South Wales residents during the pandemic. There's also, it seems like a sense of disconnect and injustice for people that don't follow the minutia of politics like the three of us might. There was a sense that the the timing was wrong, that the proportionality of what she might have done is out of whack with the consequence of being removed from office and also that she hasn't been proven guilty yet and so why not offer her the presumption of innocence? As you've been gauging the reaction to her resignation, how widespread do you think those sentiments are? There has been such a connection, especially during a pandemic, that people have felt with their premiers in particular. Premiers have been elevated to this new level Mm. over the past Two years. And also Gladys Berejiklian was there when the state had the terrible bushfires as well in 2019. So she was that person, that that calming public figure who stood up and talked clearly and appeared compassionate in times of massive crisis and uncertainty. So I don't think that connection to Gladys Berejiklian can be underestimated. And I think a lot of women as well connected with her because they saw her as the first female elected premier and also felt protective of her as well in terms of, you know, how potentially women are treated in the media and treated in politics. And, you know, and there's been such a shift in that as well over the past few years. There was this real sense that people really liked Gladys. They got behind her. They they trusted her. There's also the assumption that the public hire and fire politicians, which isn't the case here. She stood down because of an inquiry. Did she have any option? You said she didn't. Could have she gone to the back bench and tried to ride this one out and made a comeback or really was this her only course of action? 
look, politically, you can't have a Premier under a corruption cloud. So absolutely, she had to go as Premier, but she didn't have to leave Parliament altogether. Now, she's chosen to resign from her seat, uh, which she's held for more than 18 years. So what she could have done, which is what most others MPs do if they're under investigation, if it's under a police investigation or if it's under a corruption investigation, they tend to resign temporarily from their party, go and sit on the crossbench and just ride it out. Now, Gladys Berejiklian addressed that when she resigned and said, look, as the Premier, you can't really just stand aside. And she also said that she didn't know how long these ICAC investigations sometimes take years. And she perhaps didn't want to be a distraction and have that hanging over their head because here in New South Wales, we're only 18 months from the election. But she also knows what's coming in these hearings. There's evidence that is given to the lawyers. She's perhaps had, ICAC also holds private hearings before they do public hearings. So she's perhaps, we don't know, had private hearings. So she may know what is coming. So that could be part of it. Also, it would be terribly humiliating for anybody to then have, you know, those shots of, of MPs who have risen to great heights to then be languishing on the crossbench all alone. And also an investigation of this nature as well is always more intense if you are a member of parliament. So the new premier is expected to be Dominic Perrottet, or he may have been installed already, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. I've seen a lot of his detractors already pointing to his more conservative views that he voted against decriminalising abortion, that he's questioned how much action we should take on climate change, comments that appeared to support Donald Trump. So how right-wing is Dominic Perrottet and how do you think his leadership will differ from Gladys Berejiklian's? Premiers in New South Wales don't tend to come from the conservative right. They're always more moderate. They come from the moderate faction. That's the dominant faction. And all the premiers we've seen, Mike Baird, Gladys Berejiklian, Barry O'Farrell, they're all moderates. Mm. So to get in, Dominic Perrottet has had to get the backing of the moderate faction. There's been this whole deal done. So I think he's had to make a lot of or given a lot of assurances to the moderates as well that there will be no, you know, no changes to abortion, that there's no changes on climate change as well. One of the moderate power brokers who has been part of the deal quite significantly in the deal that's been struck with Dominic Perrottet is the Environment Minister, Matt Keane, who this week set a new target to halve emissions in New South Wales by, by 2030. So he will have really pushed to hang on to that. But in terms of the social agenda, yes, Dominic Perrottet is conservative and he was very open in the debate to decriminalise abortion, why he was voting against it. And it is significant here in New South Wales as well because an independent MP is about to introduce an assisted dying bill mm. here. And, and that's going to be really problematic for the Liberals. It's a real fault line, these, these social issues and when they come up. So he's going to have to deal with that issue. And he's from the right faction. The right faction are really angry about this bill. So he's going to have to deal with that right off the bat. And it'll be interesting to watch how he does it, whether he he is tied to his faction or whether he steps up and is the Premier for the whole state and allows a conscience vote and, and how that goes forward. So we don't quite know exactly how his beliefs and, and his religion will play into the decisions that he makes, but he will be beholden 
in some sense, to the moderates as well, who you think will have lots of discussions with him uh, around decisions that are made. That was Ashley Raper, the ABC's state politics reporter. Annika, I'm interested to see where Dominic Perrottet tanks New South Wales in terms of reopening. We've been hearing reports for several months that he was the one pushing to reopen faster, despite the big number of COVID cases. So I'm wondering if he's going to even speed up the opening up of our state. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether that was due to the portfolio he was in and whether he changes his tune now he's Premier and overseeing the whole state. I think the other ramification of this will, of course, be ICAC itself and those sort of integrity bodies. We know there are a number of these across the states, but there isn't one in Canberra. There's been a lot of pressure to get an integrity body, an ICAC set up. It will become a federal election issue, but I wonder, will this actually hinder it, given we still stick by the rules that we the people hire and fire politicians. Uh, we have a court system. And what's the role for another integrity body like this? I think there'll be a little bit of resistance now about the model, especially when you saw so many Labor MPs actually come out in support of Gladys Berejiklian and quite upset about the fact she's left. So I think I might see some tweaking there. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to do an in-depth interview with Peter Doherty, famous for the Doherty Institute, uh, which has done all the modelling for getting out of lockdown also famous for winning the Nobel Medicine Prize. So it should be a very interesting interview. We'll speak to you then. Listener.